0: Hi, I'm Paul Noglos, president and executive director of Crisoni on the Delta. Crisoni on the Delta is a Memphis-based nonprofit dedicated to fully exploring the vital link between food and health. Each year, for the last four years, we have convened in person world-leading researchers, innovators, investors, entrepreneurs, and growers dedicated to hashing out collaborative solutions to the world's most pressing challenges in food and health.
1: Hi everyone, my name is uh, Rob Trice. I'm with Better Food Ventures based out here in California. We uh, focus on the application of information technology uh, and make investments in companies that are applying IT across the food and ag ecosystem. I'm really pleased to have a fantastic panel today What we really want to look at is, uh, can can the Delta become the next California? That may seem like a bit of an odd title, so let me set the context. So um, one of our panelists and I are both out in California, A.G. Kawamura, out here in the land of fruits and nuts, we grow over 400 different crops, uh, but it's getting harder and harder to do so. And so whether that's climate variability, uh, regulation, overpopulation, fighting for resources, all these things are making it harder in traditional places where we grow crops, and this might create an opportunity for the delta, and that's what we really want to explore with our panel today. So let's start off with some quick introductions. So John Butler, the man in the white hat here to save the delta, is the CEO of Agriculture International. A.G. Kawamura is the former California Secretary of Department of Food and Agriculture. More importantly, he is an urban farmer, and what I mean by that is he has been a multi genera and his family have been a multi-generational farmer and the urban areas have grown up around his farms in Orange County, California. Julia Kernick is the Director of Innovation Startups at World Wildlife Fund. And Pete Nelson is the President and Executive Director of AgLaunch. Julia, I'm gonna ask you to kind of help set the table for us here. Your organization wrote a report called The Next California. Can you give us a little bit of background on that
0: report?
2: Absolutely. And thank you very much, Robin, for Cressonia, for having all of us here today. Uh, you know, it. I realize it's a little strange sometimes to hear the World Wildlife Fund is looking at agriculture in the mid-Mississippi Delta. Uh, but what we see is that, you know, California has been dominating the production of specialty crops in this country, so fruits, vegetables, and nuts, for quite a while. But as you mentioned, uh, Rob, it's becoming increasingly unsustainable And between higher heat, increased droughts, fires, and other causes uh, that we can get into. We don't expect California to stop being an agricultural state, that's not our goal, that's not what we're looking for, Uh, but we do expect that farmers there will have to decide what they want to focus on, uh, and perhaps narrow what they grow. So we wanted to see if we could proactively help shift farming, take some of that pressure off of California, and move it to an area that's good for the environment, good for the local region and good for farmers and businesses. Uh, And we really believe that the mid-Mississippi Delta is one of those regions. And I know we'll go through it in a a bit more detail, but we were really attracted for the long history of farming that has been there, that it's, you know, fantastic farmers and network fertile soils. It's already farmland. It's just commodity row crops largely instead of specialty crops uh, and all of the infrastructure and supports there, but also the chance to build a new system, you know, really from scratch in a way to bring higher value crops, to bring value added processing, to create new jobs, uh, and to hopefully build it in a way that is healthy and equitable as well.
1: Fantastic. And Pete, I also want you to make mention, if you would, of the Mid-South Delta Food Cluster and that report. Kind of give us the background on that a little bit.
3: Absolutely. Well, everyone on this call is passionate about agriculture and doing that in our unique geographic context. So for the Delta, we grow six or seven of the major commodity crops. But unlike other regions where there's heavy processing, virtually all those uh, crops go right on the river on a barge and are shipped out of here. So the economic impact, the equitable creation of jobs uh, doesn't necessarily correlate to the commodities. So many of us for maybe over 10 years now have been figuring out what could we possibly do to diversify Um, the crop base. And what we realized is you can't just plop a new crop in to an already mature uh, economic system uh, and crop rotation. So we set out uh, now about five years ago, working with a series of consultants to look at the overall 15 million acres and develop a strategy. And I think we'll have a little opportunity to talk more about that, but we pulled stakeholders together and then lay out a strategy that how do we help commodity crop farmers where they are now how do we help them to create more value added products with what they're currently growing and then ultimately use the technology and the ecosystem we have built uh, to diversify into other types of species and crops with the ultimate goal of being the best place in the world for growing all sorts of new funky things that we don't grow yet. And that's where Wildlife Foundation uh, has fit perfectly in that with us is in terms of um just that shared vision, which uh, our farmers also thought it was a little strange. We're working together, Julia, but it's a common goal that really is not uh, exclusive of others, but really creates a a more robust overall ecosystem in the U.S. for agriculture.
1: Excellent. So what I've challenged our, our panel to do here is have a conversation in the framework of a classic SWOT analysis that you might run across in a business school class or something. What I mean by that, of course, is strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I made a slight modification because I want to bundle up the weaknesses and threats and use the term that the WWF described in, in their report, what they called hurdles. But let's start with strengths. So maybe, John, maybe I can ask you to step in a little bit. Just talk, just kick us off with a little bit of discussion about strengths. Why do we think it's viable that the Delta
4: might start to
1: look more like California?
4: You bet. So first, I want to just welcome everybody, especially the Cursonia team and how much that I've appreciated being involved uh, with uh, their project over the last couple of years. And uh, I think all of us in Memphis can uh, certainly relate to the strengths that uh, we've seen over uh, our last couple of decades. And first and foremost, it starts with farmers like uh, like me. Uh, We are uh, entrepreneurs. We all understand uh, our roles and we're very, uh, I think, flexible as we approach um, the, the future. Uh, one of the challenges I think that we've seen over the last couple of years, especially as Farmgate revenue has declined for the sixth year in a row, we've also seen uh, chapter 12 bankruptcy filings increase for the region. We, we've got to uh, improvise. We've got we've to make that transition. And that's one of the reasons why I really was attracted to the job here at AgriCenter International because we have the ability to step into that role and do some uh, innovation and some some creativity around investigating what new crops look like. And I think Pete's exactly right. And Pete and I work together almost on a daily basis, probably more than either one of us want to admit. And I want to thank Julia for the work. So to come in and kind of bring a spotlight to that, I think really has been important for all of us. And so sometimes it takes somebody to kind of come in and create some of the thought process around why a particular region or a group of people can be successful, but the main asset is is our is our farmers. Uh, and I think second and third, you would go straight to the, the land, the available resource, the flexibility. So within a hundred mile radius, you have about twelve hundred ag and food companies uh, that um, that can grow almost anything from peanuts to sweet potatoes in the region. Uh, we also have the ability that. Uh, Uh, What Pete mentioned is that to to hit the river and be very efficient in our transportation, but that benefit for some reason over the last couple of years has kind of, I think, turned against us in one way. I think it's kind of stifled creativity. It's stifled our ability to look outside our traditional roles. And one of the things that we've done here at AgriCenter is that we've got uh, the largest hops yard in the Delta. Now, that doesn't mean hops is going to take the place of corn or rice or soy in our product rotation mix. What it does mean is that it could certainly fit for small to medium sized producers, but hops is just one example of maybe 50 or 60 or 150 different crops or commodities that can transition here and be successful.
1: That's excellent, so I got farmers, farmers in the need to change, land resources and other resource availability. Uh, We've already got some crop availability, uh, access to transportation and logistics,
3: what else we got, Pete? Julia, anything to add there? Yeah, John. This is Pete. John. John commented on the logistics, and um, we've got these food companies. But when we did our study, we benchmarked the fact that out of the top ten um, food production areas, from in t- context of an urban food production area, we're the only one that has excess capacity. So that's people capacity, infrastructure capacity, and so we actually can produce a lot more food here. And again, what is happening now is we're producing commodities, they're going on a barge, and then we're shipping ingredients back in for the thousand food companies that are in the region. So pulling that supply chain together um, should be sort of a slam dunk, even as we kind of think about more uh, diverse or more interesting uh, products and ingredients going forward. So that one's key, the fact that in the Delta, we have five major land-grant universities research centers, all operating really around the Delta, as opposed to where their uh, geographical head is. So, for example, we have the University of Tennessee 400 miles away from here in Knoxville, but their experiment stations that work on this kind of work are here. Same thing with Mizzou and with Mississippi State. So you've got a natural synergy of PhDs working on agronomy and seed and breeding issues, but they are not um, centered in the typical uh, land grant university mentality in terms of innovation. And so that's one. And then we've got one that most folks probably wouldn't see as an asset, but is. And that is we don't have a large incumbent here. Uh, I think there was a discussion earlier about an indigo. Uh, one reason indigo came is because they didn't have to sit um, In Indianapolis or somewhere right next to a Corteva or a Dow or a Bayer. And so when you do innovation, that seems like that's not an advantage, but we literally have this highly productive area without a lot of incumbents. That we can afford to dream a little bit and build a little bit which is is seems like not an advantage to not have a major university sitting here and not have a major uh company sitting here but it's actually turned into quite the advantage as we looked at disruptive technologies around autonomy ai all the other things that we're actually doing with farmers in the field right now
1: i want to throw one out which i i think which is compared to california for instance the outsized role that agriculture already plays as a percentage of GDP as opposed to California I think agriculture is 2% of the GDP of California we're fighting against high tech and Hollywood and I think that that's another opportunity who else AG Julia anything more to add on the strengths if not go ahead Julia
2: I I I would add one more I think that has become more apparent this year. Uh, So if you're looking at my report, for example, it was mentioned, I think, as a sentence is the chance for diversified supply chains. Uh, And so, you know, as I mentioned, we expect California to continue to be an agricultural state. I think this can be complementary. But we've also seen this year how fragile supply chains are and how easily they can be broken. Uh, And as I certainly hear when I speak to potential large markets, is that the ability to perhaps source from the Delta for the eastern half of the U.S. uh, and from California for the western half of the U.S. and things like that, and having that backup would be a, a huge bonus to them. So I think it's beyond the transportation that's already located in the region, the ability to get to the eastern half of the U.S. and have that balance. Excellent. Uh,
3: Rob, Rob, there's one more that centers back to our cotton industry, and that we have now the work that's been done with field to market and coming up with common sustainability metrics that have really not been able to get traction in the other commodities very well because farmers and the processors, the different groups are a lot more decoupled than we are in cotton. But we now are implementing the third year of the cotton trust protocol, where we have nine attributes ranging from worker well being to reducing inputs, to sequestering carbon that we're actually measuring as an industry. And so that's one that again, might not come like right to the surface. If you're thinking about that from an innovation perspective, it's leading this effort to not just evaluate uh, crops based on Chicago board price times yield minus inputs, but to think about whole farm systems. So just building even on that old crop we had, but around this cotton trust protocol uh, is positioning us in in a way that Julia, when we started talking about this, we didn't really fully realize it the way we do now is we're now measuring the kind of things that are going to lead to how we value farms in the future um, in a different way.
1: Yeah. I was actually on a a discussion yesterday with Larkin Martin, who is in the cotton space talking about, you know, that cotton actually, despite the small size, I think there's 1500 gins um, and that's it. We have data interoperability, data standards, and that is sorely lacking in agriculture. And that might be a way that we could, we can move forward. Okay, AG, you've been um, ominously quiet, and I want to pivot now to the weaknesses and threats. So, can you talk about or those hurdles for the Delta region?
5: What do you sure? Think sure, go ahead. On- well, in using that word pivot and turn, I think that's a, an important thing for agriculture today. Writ large is uh, so many areas, whether you're in Florida, whether you're in California, uh, you're trying to figure out how do you stay in business. Um, one of the attributes that wasn't mentioned is for the deltas; they certainly have a lower minimum wage than many of the other states in the nation. And uh, while that is an advantage, you're, of course, very close to Mexico and there's a whole different wage structure there that is driving so Many of the labor intensive crops out of the country and down into Mexico for the very reason that it's hard to it's hard to compete if we're nothing more than replaceable suppliers with the uh, with with those um, crops that we have if you can't create uh, diversification if you can't create some kind of a market demand some kind of a push that that makes it very difficult now um, we know that some of the biggest attributes that we all have in common soil as mentioned you even have land grant systems that are in place you have transportation you have distribution hubs um, we understand that i would understand that we have this structure set up nicely for pivot and turn in the delta uh, one of the biggest challenges of course and it's one of the reasons that is Uh, plague many of the guys is the weather in the delta is so much different than that of California and while California has a Mediterranean climate don't be fooled into thinking it's all the same we have tremendous microclimates within California I farm on the coast and just 20-30 miles inland it's a completely different climate structure and a lot of times you find as a farmer I think I'm a strawberry grower for example if I go 30 miles inland I'll find myself stuck in a place trying to put a, a round peg in a square hole. And we watch growers go to these different districts thinking they can grow the same crop away from the coast where it's a more moderate climate, and they get clobbered by uh, more extreme weather. So it might be hotter, might be colder, might be windier. All those things come into play. For us, But when you get down into the Delta, one of the biggest challenges is the amount of rain that shows up. Uh, So if you're outdoors and you have a a labor intensive crop and you also have a a lot of high humidity, that obviously invites a a lot of different problems with diseases and pests. It also creates a a challenge for uh, calling up and telling, uh, you know, your buyers today that you couldn't get in the field because it's raining for two or three days straight. That's where this opportunity for closed environment agriculture and a little bit more protected agriculture comes into play. And you see that taking place all over the world. The Netherlands probably being the best example of a closed environment food system that has year-round capacity. One of the challenges we have in California is, is seasonality. We definitely have seasons starting from the south, going up to the north, and because California is a long, is a long skinny state, it, it, we, we we say that oh, look, we have year-round production, but it's not year-round production in one area. You have to move north and south depending on the season. You're you know you're growing stuff out in the desert in the uh, down down here in the desert in the dead of winter. It's beautiful temperatures, but it's cold up north. Uh, in in the delta, I, I understand you can get tremendous freezes that are just tripling for some of the crops you might want to grow. And even if you don't lose the crops, a lot of the crops that would bolt uh, would go to seed because of a a, a sharp frost or sharp, uh, tough weather. Those make it it difficult to grow, whether it's celery, whether it's lettuce, whether it's uh, some of these crops that will act differently when you put too much stress on them. So um, the liabilities, if you will, or the challenges of growing crops in the Delta, you can certainly grow almost anything in the Delta in a piece during a certain season during a certain period of time can you get long time seasonality out of that area can you go year round and in my mind the most the easiest way to go year round is you have to move indoors and you have to basically create your own uh, uh, environmentally Uh, protected, uh, environmentally controlled growing situation. And you see that happening uh, with whether it's Walmart or Costco or some of the other guys starting to look at uh, already tomatoes, lettuce, indoor production year round next to the distribution center. That's not going to change. And as we move towards robotics, that will make it even better. The one thing I would also add those regions, whether it's California, whether it's the Delta, whether it's uh, anywhere else where you can create uh, uh, the, the the least costly energy, renewable energy or whatever energy to drive your robotic systems, to drive your indoor um, weather controlled uh, energy intense uh, systems. When you can create a region or a block that's working collaboratively together with collaborative innovation, so that you have cheap water, cheap rent, cheap uh, labor, cheap or advanced technologies driven by a very cheap energy system, that sets you up for a chance to change your food system.
1: Okay, now, AG, you cheated a little bit. You jumped ahead to opportunities,
5: right? But, I probably so, did.
1: Roll back the tape just a little bit and focus on those hurdles, but that was good. And I think that issue about weather is really important. Pete, I want to I want to call on you a little bit cuz I'm a little bit confused here. So we've talked about labor, labor availability, but you also had talked about the lack of automation. So what's the deal is this a pro or a con the, the labor situation in the delta?
3: You know, when when we threw out this this idea of being a parallel with California and operating with specialty crops at that scale, um, that you know intuitively means we're going to have to have either a widespread labor pool which right now does not exist or a replacement for that and this is where we have to get into the discussion on sort of the lack of the equitable past here and how we move that forward so as an organization we're focused on creating value and wealth for everybody that could be involved in the industry, including the 66% of African American people that are in Memphis. And part of that is not rebuilding things that look like our past here. And so without saying about what anybody else is doing, we feel like that is one of the two major hindrances is you're not going to, I mean, I've been through the Valley in California, you all are all through it, I don't think we're going to rebuild a system that looks like that at a widespread scale, where you can have a company that that's all they do is haul porta johns around in order to fit laborers that are in the field. So we feel like the biggest barrier is this highly complex problem of how do you pick. A tomato or a berry or something that none of it's homogenized. It all is very, very uh, hard to keep fresh and whole, and how to do that and that does not mean you know these are not absolutes. that does not mean just like we do right now in the sweet potato industry that we're not using um, labor on the field level. What it means is we have a clean slate to build from, and we're not going to build an industry here fundamentally that that's what we're building on that kind of labor in a widespread like you would see in California. Um, I just fundamentally don't believe that's the way that we're going to be able to get investment and build and grow it. So that's, you know, that's one of the biggest hindrances to making this work in, in our view. Um, and there's some things we can do as we leap along, you know, some of our partners have transitioned from row crops into blackberries, and they're using some automation and some labor. So again, you know, we're farmers, we're going to figure out ways to do it. But in terms of working through a widespread labor pool at the scale you'd have to have, um, we're, going to, we're going to have to make a bet on technology before we push on doing that in our view.
1: Yep. John or Julia, I've got one that I'll throw out there. Maybe you can comment on that or take it somewhere else, which is lack of funding. So, you know, one of the secrets about Napa and Sonoma wineries is we had tech money that went in and, and created a lot of those fancy vineyards. You may not have that same opportunity. Uh, at any rate, you want to talk about funding, lack of funding, and or other hurdles.
4: Hey, I'll let Julia answer the lack of funding. What I'd like to just, I don't know if we've talked about our water asset or not. So I don't know. We're sitting right here over the Memphis Sands Aquifer, and I just wanted to make sure that we we mentioned the fact that because of that resource, I think it does give us a leg up to other regions of the country, like maybe in, you know, the Southwest or even the the the, the West. Um to address a couple of comments that AG said once, I still remember the first time I saw the San Joaquin Valley. It was the early 90s, and I thought, wow. Uh, so they they do have some tremendous assets. But one of the things I think that's really caused some issues for them over the last couple of years is is regulations, and that's one thing we haven't talked about yet. I think we have some advantages. I think most of our our our, our Delta states have really pro agriculture. Uh, laws in place. I know the state of Tennessee has a right to farm law that gives us the ability to operate our our businesses. and so I think that's that's a huge huge advantage for us. And then one of the things that I've noticed that's really been uh, I think on my recent trip out to California in the last two years is that urban sprawl has really impacted uh, and, and I'm sure AG can talk more about that, but it's really impacted the way their businesses can can grow. Um, and and also w- where that growth is 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 realistic so for instance if I have a farm but it's 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 much more uh, economically you know viable for me to allow that to go into development or, or some type of residential homes and that that argument is is really hard to to listen to when I'm really struggling on you know the farm side PL. and l so I, I really believe that urban sprawl and regulations are are, are are two things because of our the, the rural nature of, of the majority of the, the land that rests here in the Delta. I, I think those are things that really give us a, a leg up.
1: So usually when we I, talk about these topics with AG about urban pressures and regulatory constraints, you usually have to have a stiff drink in, in hand with him. Um, AG, well, I don't... We meet in three hours. Can you do yeah. one good vignette of something silly that you've had to do because of your urban pressure for instance?
5: Well we have so many challenges when we farm right up to the uh, backyard of somebody and so we have neighbors complaining about dust about starting too early about your tractors making too much noise in the morning we have challenges where someone says they don't like to look at the toilets uh, outside or even the lunch wagon because they it bothers them and yet the, there might have been a, a orange grove Just 10 years earlier in their backyard, they were the ones uh, complaining about pesticide spray and everything else. So um, our our goal, our challenges here is is very true. California has has some of the most burdensome regulatory system at the state level, at the county level. And now it's starting to move down into municipal level where you have uh, city councils trying to tell you what you can and can't do and tell you how to grow things don't forget we also have some of the highest insurance rates and taxes here and so all of those are are really creating a crunch for many of the producers here and we're trying to uh, adjust and pivot to just those challenges including more and more mechanization more and more movement towards uh, uh a um if you will, and it's going to happen much quicker than I think anybody knows, a roboticized future for much of the industry where where you're able to do that. But I would agree that the ability in, in the Delta, for example, to find those crops that fit the niche crops and more importantly, that marketing plan that can be aligned with uh, the different processors uh, specifically or the chain stores themselves. Um, after all, for many of us, we will these most of us, Many of us believe, certainly with my company it's true, marketing uh, it drives our, our production. We have to be able to know that we marketed the product before we even grew it, before we put that investment in and start to uh, start to move forward. We can't re- anymore we can't just grow something and, and hope we can sell it. So it, it's really important to recognize that that structure with the support from either the food service, uh, there's some novel new opportunities with food banks and uh, schools uh, basically having you custom grow food for the food bank, custom grow food for the school cafeteria, uh, for the commissary. These are new models that actually open up a great um, opportunity area for new farming and new uh, food system delivery where you kind of uh, it's a parallel system that farm the family system that was put together here during the pandemic is an amazing concept that it works really really well and you could get diversified products from a region and put them into that box have that uh, someone uh, uh, consolidate those boxes and get the best freshest produce to those that are most in need of a nutrient dense meal.
1: Okay, so AG is obviously uh, an optimist to California because he likes to go straight to the opportunities. Julia, I wanna give you the opportunity either to put a bow on uh, our our hurdles discussion um, or give us the opportunity to segue off of the negative and then start talking about opportunities.
2: Uh, Well, what I was going to say fits both. So you gave me the perfect opening without knowing it. I, you know, you brought up funding. Uh this is, you know, something that that certainly comes up. I would say it's probably not the biggest hurdle. I would agree with Pete that I think that labor is is absolutely the key issue here and, and one that needs to be thought through carefully. I think when it comes to funding, while it's I don't want to say it's simple and doesn't matter. Uh I think that if we can show that this will happen, if markets want to buy it. That farmers want to grow this, that this can happen, that funding will come, but I think it also presents an opportunity here uh, to think about what that can look like and how can we do that creatively to be more equitable, to be more inclusive, and to keep more gains in the region. Uh, And so things like In addition to growing higher value crops, can you build the processing facilities and capture the economics of the value added processing in the region, as opposed to shipping product out of the region to be processed. And I think the gains there bring not only, you know, the industry that would develop around that, but that's where I think you see the desirable jobs. When I mentioned jobs at the beginning and being able to bring those to the region, I don't think it's the ones in the field picking uh, that are the, you know, the best jobs to be created, but the ones in industry uh, that are less labor intensive, less hard on people physically demanding, uh, and can provide a secure environment, can provide benefits, can provide year-round employment. But as we're funding those, as you're looking at how funding can come in to build value-added processing that's where i know we hope to to bring some value out and be helpful of can we get you know investor can it be funded through social impact bonds that we can bring to the table or impact investors who perhaps want to create it in a way that farmers can get some of those gains as well that they can fund it and earn equity that workers at those plants can earn equity that there can be specific programs to employ hard to employ populations uh, and so different ways of of designing this from the beginning uh, and and so i think it it can be seen as a hurdle, but I think can really be an opportunity too.
3: I think I address it? funding to Rob real quick. Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, and just a good plan will attract funding. There's no doubt about that. Uh, we have a real need, high poverty area, and the way that we're doing that as a region is targeting what I would say are the non-obvious who has a reason to invest here. A good example, that's the farm credit system. They loan over 40% of the farm loans in this country. We've gone after them saying, will you work with us to fund our innovation engine? So starting with a $31 million fund with eight farm credit banks, we've now mobilized funds across the Midwest to a half billion dollars, pulling the farm credit system into- funding the front end, the innovation piece, leading to the stuff Julia's talking about. So it's a hurdle, but we're executing a strategy here that's highly compelling. If you're a food company, if you're a cosmetic company in Europe and you want a natural ingredient traceable from the microbiome to your shelf, we're positioning ourselves to do that and it's a highly investable opportunity so i just don't want to go by the funding discussion without going uh we're open for business and are actually mobilizing millions and millions of dollars into this right now to build what we think is is this this innovation pipeline
1: yeah i I also want to just I, i don't want to be captain obvious but i want to state one of the advantages that delta has is it doesn't have that existing infrastructure that legacy to overcome and that allows you to you know uh Uh, engage financial uh, innovations as well as technology innovations that might be harder to overcome because we have that big legacy out in California. Who else on the opportunity? Rob,
5: Rob, can I, one of the things that we, I know when we talk about my group solutions from the land we're always talking about that toolbox. What's in your toolbox and how robust is that toolbox in the area of labor? Um, it is true, we, as we hopefully get immigration reform, but more importantly with the H2A program that exists today, uh, one of the things I would observe is the Delta, the cost of living in the Delta and be able to create housing and have a program. If you or have labor shortage, uh, the H2A program allows you to quickly adjust and pivot and turn to find a good workforce that can move into an area and providing housing and all those different things that is really hard to do in california it'd be very easy to say that it's an easier step forward uh in the delta and the, the other folks with us on the panel could attest to that it's just a different level of, of overhead cost that's thrown at you when you're starting to crank up a new uh, endeavor
3: yeah, I think that's totally right. Um, before we move off the hurdle, the, the biggest one, and I've, I've continued to kind of bring that up to us is price transparency. I mean, you are either putting a commodity on the Chicago board in which we can look at it in the game is how do you control supply at the basis, you know, with the grain companies at the river or it's contracted. I mean, and you all in California are great at it. You have a highly consolidated industry around Driscoll's and Taylor and others that write contracts. Well, if you can ever get beyond that, where you actually have a transparent market, probably using things like we talked about in the cotton industry, distributed ledger. There's other tools that we're bringing to bear. Um, right now, we'd grow way more vegetables if we weren't concerned about the fact that we're having to be once again the price takers and not part of the process. And we obviously all have the problem: how do we value special attributes? So there's that's you know for us it's labor and price transparency. And, and market making are the are the two biggest barriers. The cash will follow if you could figure out those two, which obviously we're you know we're actively working on programs around those.
4: Hey, I, I want to just in that. I'm sorry, Rob. I, I think de risking that for producer is going to be in, incredibly important. So as a producer, there's. I am risk tolerant, but there's a certain amount of risk that I can balance in my portfolio yeah. or organizations like AgriCenter or Aglaunch or land grant universities. They've got to all pitch in and take a role in de-risking um, that you know, adventure, de-risking that to producers and then hopefully creating opportunities around new genetics, new crops, new, new um, products um, and are able to invest that back into the region that you know de-risking that's going to be really important for the future
1: yeah we're running out of time a little bit I do want to make sure that we take some questions we got one specifically looking at the role of vertical farming AG you talked about indoor uh you I think we have to make that that distinction between greenhouse or under glass and vertical which would probably be more more urban or hybrids that it might be both vertical and horizontal you want to talk about that a little bit
5: yeah I, I think it i th- i think it's they're talking about all those new technologies the 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 new systems that exist uh whether it's hydroponic aeroponic uh uh aquaponics um they they require tremendous investment but once they're up and running uh they have an opportunity to create a steady flow of supply uh, i think i i wanted to go back to the that challenge of when you have variable weather uh, on a regular basis and in other words, constant rains that can shut you down for days at a time that 's the one thing that generally we try we kind of avoid in California is this this stable weather patterns that allow us to have these highly perishable crops out there. Those crops that are sturdier and hardier, obviously, they find their place in, in uh, operations out there like that. And going vertical allows you to measure not in cubic uh, square feet, but in cubic feet. Production for cubic feet, once you go vertical, it, it is really pretty uh, amazing how that works. And so whether it's with these uh, the indoor tomato production that we've seen um, just take over the fresh tomato market in many ways, and now we're seeing lettuces as well they can be grown indoors or outdoors. And by going above ground, one observation we've had here in our area with above ground, um, they can take the heat a lot better. Interestingly, if you come above ground.
1: Yeah. I tell you what, we're we're running out of time here. I think I want to wrap it up uh, and try to look for a thumbs up affirmation from you on what I think I'm hearing. One of the things that we didn't really talk about is that, it's too black and white to make it look like it's California versus the Delta. If you look at those big California, you mentioned the Driscoll's, for instance, those folks, those operations already have, uh, you know, Taylor farms in Arizona, uh, Driscoll's all over the place, Morocco, Australia, they're looking for international markets uh, already and domestic markets. They're growing in new places. So it doesn't have to be an, an either or, right? It can be, one plus one equals three here. I see a thumbs up. Everyone agree with that statement? All right. The second thing I'd like to make sure is uh, that I, what I'm hearing is that there's an opportunity for the Delta to look more like California, but we probably don't expect it to look be an identical twin. That there's gonna be variances because of the things that, for instance, AG was mentioning on the weather side, uh, you know, the, the labor and so forth that are gonna make it unique Yet it probably will look more like California. How about that? A thumbs up. Anyone disagree?
3: Ag? I, I would say I would say it's not only not a twin that we our our future depends on the way we exchange and work together. This is about spreading out risk among different geographies. I mean, ag launch has gone as far as we actually have a strong farm cooperative partner in Iowa. And then a partner in the Willamette Valley that's 350 crops on three counties, $5 billion farm gate revenue, because we're sending innovation out if it needs would be berries and then bring it back to corn. And so th- this is really about how do we build a food system of the future and put the right assets in the right market conditions and then back to the equity piece. So, yeah, I think it's not just not a twin, but we actually are dependent on each other, uh, building the right piece in the right place together. AG, hey, what does this mean? Well, I I
5: would still say again, if you have affordable land, lower energy costs, lower water costs, you bring in technology and you have a great, robust toolbox for your pest control, that gives you an opportunity anywhere in the planet if those are your attributes that you get to work with. The minute you're the high-cost producer and you're competing with someone else that can come in and undercut you with price, and suddenly you're losing a dollar a box when someone's breaking even and someone else is making a buck, that's the reality that uh, many of us are faced with here in California, for example, that we, we, we've gone along, we might be really good at growing a crop, but we're no longer competitive in growing that same crop because of these costs, because of a regulatory burden, because of other things. And that's the reckoning that's taking place right now. So as we all scramble to try and find the crop that we can grow or pick up our toys and our tractors and move to another area, that unfortunately is some of the reality that we're facing. I I, I hate to uh, be a, a wet blanket here in any way, but it is the reality uh, of what most of, uh, the producers are facing throughout the country is how do you continue to compete with other areas, uh, that can produce significantly, uh, more cheaply than we we can.
1: We've about 30 seconds left. Can we do a speed round bullet one sentence? What's the one thing the Delta should be working on now to look more like California? Julie, I'm going to hit you first.
2: Uh, to look more like California. Oh, I had to go first. Uh, I mean, I think simply diversifying crops so that you have a, a greater base to build from.
4: John? Platform to de-risk uh, the investment for producers. Pete? Uh, automation
3: and transparency in the market. A.G. Uh, look to new
5: new food systems like the food banks, like providing your own uh, pr- uh, produce for schools. And that you're, you can create a whole new generation of growers through your FFA, through your farmers organizations, through your farm bureaus to start to focus uh, a new system for a different food market that allows you to ramp up your, your, your capacity.
1: Thank you all for your time and insights. And Cruzonia, thank you so much for organizing this fantastic panel.
0: Great.
4: Thank you all.
0: We hope you enjoyed this afternoon's Food is Health Forum more importantly we hope you learned something and we hope you made valuable connections that can help you with collaborative solutions going forward help us keep the conversation going by registering for our bi-weekly Crisonia conversations and joining our slack channel both can be found at chrysonia.org with that i'd like to thank our sponsors and partners for making this afternoon possible We will return to Memphis. In the meantime, please remember, food is health.